are we the first generation of Americans to pay people to spit in our faces? I think we are. This is Citizens Going Wild, Dr. George sort of in charge. And yes, the professors of the left and those who have learned from them first tell a story of, uh, first I want to tell a story of how the men of words got in charge. The men of words that I call intellectuals, and all that means is people who produce nothing but words. That's their profession. That's their field. That's their expertise. Words, more words, words, and more words. Now, intellectuals have wanted to be in charge for a long time. About the time of the French Revolution, many people that we would call intellectuals nowadays, they were mainly lawyers back then, uh, got tired of the old uh, Bible-based religions and sought to set up a new way, a new worldview, where they would, by coincidence, I am sure, be the people in charge. They would be, in effect, the priests of the new religion. And at the time of the French Revolution, the first thing to remember is there was something wrong there. The intellectuals were not completely wrong. There was something wrong. The whole society was arranged like a darn layer cake. At the top were the king and the queen. Below them were the aristocrats and then the clergy. And then at the bottom, holding up the entire place and the people who did the work of the world were the peasants and the city workers as well. At that time, you had city work. Now, at the time of the French Revolution, uh, basically, uh, people got very agitated uh, because of the terrible economic conditions and led by people of words. You may have heard the names of people like Robes, Robespierre. Uh, they basically overthrew the old government, the king and uh, the queen and the aristocracy, and they took charge. And they did a number of things. Uh, they set up this committee that was the Committee of the Revolution. And this committee was basically in charge of society. Eventually, they chased the king out, and then they killed him and the queen. And he said, by the way, after me to deluge, and boy, was he right. And they basically governed by decree. That means they gave orders day after day, actually hour after hour. And you had the French Revolution, which many people still hold dear to their hearts, mainly the men of words. They liked that revolution. At the same time, the United States was having a revolution, about the same time. And uh, we, we basically uh, settled on our ideas of liberty and democracy, uh, as did the French. But the French added one word that made a big difference. And basically, it was love, although a different word was used, a friendship. And this made a big difference. The first thing they did was change the word, and that was citizen. For now on, all the words in France that alluded to the old aristocracy were gone. Everyone, everyone was equal. Everyone was called a citizen. And I imagine this was quite a nice thing. It's like having all of society as one large family-friendly uh, group. Maybe not your family or my family, but the idea was everyone is equal. We're all equal here. 
You're a citizen. I'm a citizen. You're no longer king. You're no longer an aristocrat. You're no longer a knight. You're no longer a queen. We're all citizens. Citizen Jones, Citizen Smith, Citizen Pierre, I guess. And this was very, very nice. Before this, people had to tip their hats to this, that, and the other person. The peasants were basically bound to the soil and worked all year, basically for the benefit of their masters. They decided that we would have a new man. Everyone would have pride. At that time, they didn't include, the women were included, but they used the term the new man. And uh, everyone was included. Everyone was a good person. Everyone was worthy. Everyone deserved a piece of the pie. This is powerful stuff. It's kind of, well, it's kind of like a, a twisted Christianity. And we'll see why it got twisted later on. It was very hard to resist. And pretty soon the people in charge were the men of words, and they issued all sorts of orders. One of the things you'll see time and again, including in our time, is they put an emphasis on words and renaming things. All of a sudden you're hearing all sorts of uh, uh, words that you didn't hear before, like white shaming and the um, cancel culture and things like that. Well, this is where this idea caught on and where it started, actually. And you had the beginnings of the new man here. They renamed the weeks. They renamed the month. They renamed the holidays. They changed the holidays. They changed the names of, well, how you greeted people. It was Citizen Smith and Smith and Jones. It was no longer Your Honor or the King or something like that, or the Lord of the Manor. You'll see the same pattern happen here. Another pattern that you'll see, which we're already seeing, is they clamped down on free speech. You were free to say what you wanted as long as you agreed with the leaders. If you didn't agree with the leaders, well, then you were in big trouble. And when they got mad enough, they would eventually shift to killing people who said things they didn't like, who turned on the, the committee of the revolution. So free speech left. The only free speech you had was the freedom to agree with the rulers, which is exactly what you see on college campuses today. You really don't have free speech. You have free speech that agrees with the left on college campuses, and you have free speech when you're talking about something that has nothing to do with the leadership on college campuses. Otherwise, there's darn little free speech. Another thing happened. They turned on each other and they started to squabble incessantly. And then they turned on each other hard and they started to execute each other. Eventually, all of society fell into chaos and a short guy named Napoleon came in, restored order and established a dictatorship. Now, at this point, we also have people who dream of imposing a dominant worldview of perfect harmony, no discrimination, just love, love, love all the way down. These people came in through the back door. They came in by education, first through higher education. And this is closer to our time. After Napoleon, which of course was a dictatorship, um, 
we had a period of a lull where there were attempts at revolution, but that didn't go much anywhere. And people like the Germans often fled to the United States when things didn't go well with their revolutions in Europe. What happened was, around the turn of the century, a guy named Antonio Gramsci, what a great name, a, a, a Marxist in Italy, was thrown in jail. One of the worst things you can do with these damn revolutionaries is throw them in jail because they have time to think in the right. And what he did is he looked around at his fellow intellectuals and said, these people couldn't overturn an outhouse with a locked door. These people can't do that. But what can they do to have a revolution and to have a whole new worldview of harmony? Well, they can infiltrate the system basically through education. What, what are we good at, we revolutionaries? Actually, the only thing we're good at is words, words, and more words. So why don't we get jobs in education? And through education, we can change. He thought we change the children first and higher and higher through teens and then adults. When the Vietnam War came, one of the few ways you could get out of going there, and uh, which a lot of people wanted to do, was to be in, in school, mainly graduate school. Everyone was in school K through 12. But if you went to graduate school, you could stay in school long enough and hope that the war would be over by the time you got out the other end with a PhD. A lot of people did this. A lot of intellectuals did this. A lot of leftist intellectuals did this. A lot of um, people who would later enforce political correctness got into this. And they became professors. And they found, to their great surprise, there wasn't any great opposition to them. <laughs> they made all sorts of demands. People acceded to their, acceded to their demands. The old-fashioned liberal professors were too frightened, were too close to retirement to do anything, and the administration gave in time after time after time. At this time, by the way, another person came in, another intellectual, a guy named Paul DeMond. You don't have to know these people's names. I barely know how to pronounce this guy's last Paul DeMond, guess what he did during World War II? He was a Nazi, a real Nazi, not just the guy who cut you off on the parkway. Paul DeMond was actually, I think, originally from Belgium. And he worked for the um, uh, Germans, the real Nazis. And what he did was propaganda. And his main point was we must get rid of the Jews. We must move them. We must do something. The Jews, he basically said, are our misfortune. We must get rid of them, and the world will be much better off without them. Now, after the war, Paul DeMond abandoned his wife and children, which is another common trend you will see with these revolutionaries. They abandoned the, he abandoned his family in war-torn Europe, where people were hungry and cold. And he came to the United States, and he came to Yale. Most of the... Um, revolutionary ideas, fascist ideas, I might call them, came from the Ivy League schools first. Then they spread throughout the country. 
because of the prestige of the Ivy League schools. He was at Yale, having abandoned his wife and children in, um, in Europe, war-torn Europe, and he eventually married a graduate student. He got a job in the Department of English, which is one of the reasons why departments of English are often the reason why um, they are often the worst department. They have basically given up on teaching English English, as most people would describe it, how to read, how to write, and pass it on. And they spend their times basically furthering their efforts to destabilize and bury uh, Western civilization. He came up with the idea that there is no reality. That reality is a construction. What the hell does that mean? Uh, I'm going to pause here to drink an, an adult beverage. I feel better. And he started to preach this crazy idea. First, he started to say, look, when trying to understand a novel, who should we look toward? The author? No. He said the critic, that is him, soon to be joined by others, we are the ultimate authority on what this book means. And we decide what meaning there is in life, in a novel, in a play, in art, in, in relationships by depending on what we what our color is what our gender is what our sexual orientation is that's what constructs reality so if we look at uh, imperialism we will look at it with a different eye if we are one of the imperialists and if we're not one of the imperialists if we're black if we're white if we're brown if we're from here if we're from there and by sheer coincidence, it turns out that they, the critics, are the best interpreters and ultimately rulers of the world. In effect, what they thought was uh, would be the perfect world was the world ruled by ideas, ideas of the intellectuals, and by this they meant the new intellectuals, the people who believed that reality was construction, and it was constructed in the past basically by bad people. We all have a view of history, whether we like history or not, whether we study it or not. And it's, there's a moral framework there. And uh, you can have history as governed by God and our reaction to God, or you can come up with something new. And this is what they did. They said... If you look back in history, there are good people and bad people, okay? Now, who are the bad people? The bad people are come from Western civilization. Western civilization by itself is a bad civilization. It is an oppressive, it is a bigoted, it is a prejudiced uh, worldview. And there are winners and losers as we go through Western civilization. Uh, Marx had something of this as well. All of these people, uh, intellectuals, have something about They basically view themselves as saviors, here to save people from Western civilization. And the people who are in charge, well, who was in charge in Western civilization? Who did all these evil deeds? Who created slavery, oppression, 
war, militarism, more oppression, more bigotry, more hatred. Well, it must have been the people in charge in the West. And the people who were in charge in the West were white men. That's how white men became the target of everything in sight. So you have a new worldview. Now, there could only be one set of priests, right? And uh, the, the people who prayed, uh, who were Jewish, the people who were Christian, they were wrong. They supported the, um, the higher-ups. They supported the powers that be. They supported those who were prejudiced, bigoted, and oppressive. And we must overthrow their rule. And so you see there's a continuous attack on, on, on ideas that are prevalent in Western civilization. Some of this, by the way, is very good. I happen to think it was wrong to be prejudiced against homosexuals or, even, or transsexuals. I think it was wrong to have slavery. I think it was wrong to be bigoted against people because of secondary characteristics such as race, class, gender, or anything else. They decided, though, if you're going to have good, you also have to have evil. And who are the evildoers? Western civilization in general, white men in particular. Whatever beliefs they have, we're against. That's what they're saying, not me. And they generally overcame any resistance in higher education to the point where now they absolutely dominate Western civilization. And what is the first thing they did? is they eliminated or reduced the role of Western civilization. It used to be mandatory that you take two courses of Western civilization. But they changed that. Now you don't have to take any courses in it. And why should you? According to them, it's an evil system. And you can, uh, they took over not just those types of rules, they changed those rules, but they set up their own majors where they could scream continuously. Such majors as gender studies, don't, you don't really major in anything except hatred of the West, hatred of white people, hatred of men. That's your entire curriculum. So they have their own departments, and elsewhere they have also infiltrated and become dominant. Thus, if you take a course in American history, it's nothing. It's going to be nothing but a course of unrelented uh, evil. By the end, you're thinking, what the hell is this country about anyway? <clears throat> it is not balanced. It is not fair. You will also be on the attack, or at least indifferent, to uh, Jews, Jewish suffering, and Israel. Because what is Judaism? It's the religion of the West. What is Israel? It is a, people came from the West, settled where they weren't wanted, and now are oppressing people all over the place. And if they don't like history, like the fact that Jews were there in Israel for 2,000 years before anyone else, they just don't mention it or they change its interpretation. Okay. There are things that are wrong with any civilization. For example, in ours, I would say there has to be reform of the police. 
Not that they're all terrible people, but they, first of all, they cost too much. They retire too early. Their pensions are humongous. They nearly bankrupt an entire state, Illinois, and cities, uh, San Jose. In addition, many people feel they're arrogant. They forget that who works for whom here. And they sometimes engage in god-awful behavior, which isn't always picked up, such as putting your knee on someone's neck until they're dead. This is what... This is what they now, they are now in charge of uh, colleges and universities, and these are some of the things that they are teaching. I want to take a stop there for a second. I want to mention a little $5 plan, my plan, which I think is great, but so far it hasn't caught on. And that is when you tip people who ordinarily are not tipped, they're not tipped much, like at the gas station, like when you get coffee, once a week, Give the tip of $5. And if enough people do this, it will transform the lives of the people who are serving up, I don't know, two, three, four hundred cups of coffee a day. Just do it once a week. Let's see if we can do that first. Don't overdo it. Don't underdo it. Anyway, this, that's my wonderful idea. I feel free to pass on my wonderful ideas, and I just did. Also, as I go through this um these programs, uh, I plan to have something uh, that I'll introduce, uh, like a word a day. The word for today is cancel and cancel culture. You may have heard that. Again, it's this emphasis, emphasis on rewording, re really rewiring our civilization by rewording our civilization. You may have heard of cancel culture. And what the hell does that mean? Cancel culture means that you remove for uh, support for public figures in response to their objectionable behavior or their opinions. You may have heard certain people are being canceled. That means you're sort of casting them out into the outer darkness. Uh, this can include boycotts or refusals to promote their work, anything like that. Now, most of the cancel culture that's been going on has been against the usual suspects. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I wanna bring up something that a guy named Jonathan Tobin, who's a great writer, asked. Why can't you get canceled for anti-Semitism? And he's interested in Israel and Jews and so am I. It seems to be easy to get someone canceled for not going along with for the prevailing orthodoxy, especially regarding race. But if you say something anti-Semitic, as many people have, including our uh, politicians, including the people from the House of Representatives, no one gets canceled. How strange and annoying and typical. Lives have been ruined literally by people refusing to bend the knee, both actually bending it or acting as if you're going to bend it, to the Black Lives Matter. People who haven't got down on their knees before these people have had have been attacked, have had their careers canceled. Uh, here's one, a guy named Gordon Klein, a professor at UCLA School of Management who was placed on leave and had his classes canceled 
from him after refusing to grant African-American students exemptions for taking final exams because they said, the black students said, we can't go on and take our exams because we're so upset about the killing of George Floyd. And he said, no, you know, he was kind, but he said, you're going to have to take the examination. He had been there 30 years. In the blink of an eye, the school decided the students were right, the professor was wrong, and, oh, by the way, the students attacked him. They published his email and his home address. This is how you get people who drive in front of someone's house beeping their horn and creating a fuss. And in some cases, like Tucker Carlson, actually trying to break into the house while a man's wife is there. So, Gordon Klein was kicked out on a word of a bunch of students. After being here for 30 years and being a professor... And he's now under police protection because of death threats. But people yelled at them? No, we don't. No, we don't. Here's another person. Tiffany Riley, a Vermont school principal, was placed on leave um, because she sa said that, that she agreed with Black Lives Matter, but she didn't support coercive measures to advance that course. And she didn't want to demonize the police. See, it's not enough to agree with Kim Il-sung. You've got to agree, agree enthusiastically. And if not, you're going to lose your jobs. There's another person, a professor, for God's sakes, at the University of Chicago was fired from a consulting job with the Federal Reserve, those are the people that control our money supply, for saying that Black Lives Matter had torpedoed itself by aligning the movement with fun calls for defunding the police. He said they made a mistake. You can't say Black Lives Matter making a mistake. It doesn't work. It's like praising Israel. It, you can't do it and remain a professor. I should know. Anyway, this guy, Harold the Ulig, had issue, issued a groveling apology. Never do that. It never works. All you get is groveling. It will stay in your memory and your heart forever, and you're still going to be gone. He offered a groveling apology. The Federal, the federal, uh, federal um, Reserve System said there's no room at the institution for racism. He didn't say anything racist, but he came, according to some interpretations, close. This is a cancel culture. Now, it doesn't work the other way. Uh, comedian and television star Chelsea Handler, who approvingly posted a video of Nation of Islam hate monger Louis Farrakhan on, on her Instagram page this past weekend didn't have anything canceled. She said a Farrakhan statement on racism uh, on the Phil Donahue show was powerful. Farrakhan is a screaming anti-Semite. He is a purveyor of more anti-Semitic conspiracy theories than almost anyone else. He's the purveyor of hatred. I mean, blind friggin' hatred towards Jews. But she said that's quite all right. And, and, she said it is um, a laudable person might hold, 
but not show evidence of a murderous hatred, and so it's okay. I don't know what that means. Now, one might have accepted a surge of anger directed at Trent's hate, uh, handler because they're against racial prejudice, group prejudice, all sorts of prejudice. They say, no. Celebrities such as Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Gardner, Michelle Pfeiffer voiced support for Handler. Now, look, I, none of us are looking toward um, uh, Jennifer Aniston, uh, even though she has really great hair for advice. Jennifer Gardner, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, they're they are, they are not intellectual giants, but still, still, because Chelsea Handler said something that seemed to be anti-racist. They joined with her. And what happened to the anti-racism against Jews, who know a lot about anti-bigotry and anti-Semitism and hatred of Jews, and have suffered terribly because of it? That's okay. No canceling, no canceling, and more no canceling. Congressional Democrats refused to censor her. Uh... Uh, Representative uh, Omar of um, Ilian Omar, a Democrat from Minnesota, was not only not canceled after she made some wildly anti-Semitic remarks and continues to make them. She's the one who said the Jews are all about the money, all about the Benjamin was her famous phrase. And the supporters of Israel, he said, she said the only thing they're interested in is money. Of course, this this trope, this idea, this the Jews are more interested in money than other people, has uh, it's gotten millions of Jews killed over the centuries. Yes, for the last 2,000 years. And yet, no canceling, no canceling. They only cancel people, well, who are rather cowardly. Uh, I think I'm going to calm down now. Although everything that I said deserves yelling and more yelling. But I want to cheer you up, and I want to tell you some good stories and jokes. Here, joke number one. If you had to choose between drinking wine every day or being skinny, would you choose red or white? The fact that jellyfish have survived for 650 million years despite not having brains should give hope to many people. Wife, did I get fat during quarantine? Husband. You were never really skinny. Time of death, 425-20, in the p.m. Cause of death, coronavirus. Here's the thought. If you eat well, get lots of sleep, and do exercise, and drink lots of water, you die, you'll die anyway. Open the wine. Now, here's a... This probably shouldn't be said out loud. If I was a plastic surgeon, I would 100% put a squeaky toy in every breast implant. Now, here's a long story, but it's a pretty good one. Making a baby. The Smiths were unable to conceive children and decided to use a surrogate father to start their family. On the day the proxy father was to arrive, Mr. Smith kissed his wife goodbye and said, Well, I'm off now. The man should be here soon. Half an hour later... Just by chance, a door-to-door baby photographer happened to ring the doorbell, hoping to make a sale. Good morning, ma'am. I've come to... Oh, no need to explain, Mrs. Smith cut in, embarrassed. I've been expecting you. 
Have you really? Well, that's good. Did you know babies are my specialty? Well, that's what my husband and I had hoped. Please come in and have a seat. After a moment, she asked, blushing, well, where do we start? The photographer said, leave everything to me. I'll try two in the bathtub, one on the couch, perhaps a couple on the bed. And sometimes the living room floor is fun. You can really spread out there. Bathtub, living room floor, no wonder it didn't work out for Harry and me. Well, ma'am, none of us can guarantee a good one every time. But if we try several different positions, and I shoot for seven or six angles, something like that, I'm sure you'll be pleased with the results. Mine is a lot, gasped Mrs. Smith. Ma'am, in my line of work, a man has to take his time. I'd love to be in and out in five minutes, but I'm sure you'd be disappointed with that. Don't I know it, Miss. The photographer opened his briefcase and pulled out a portfolio of baby pictures. This was done on top of a bus, he said. Oh, my God, said Mrs. Smith. And um, now sometimes I have people crowding around, look what I do. Uh, four and five deep, get a good look. Four and five deep, said Mrs. Smith, her eyes wide with amazement. Yes. Now, uh, one time when I was doing a good shot, the squirrels began nibbling on my equipment. I had to pack it in. Mrs. Smith leaned forward. You mean they actually chewed on your uh, equipment? It's true, ma'am. Well, if you're ready, I'll set up my tripod and we get to work right away. Yes, ma'am. I need to use a tripod to, to rest my cannon on. It's much too big to be held in the hand very long. Mrs. Smith painted. I hope to see you and talk to you. I guess just talk to you. Or maybe see to you. Maybe I'll get on YouTube and I'll be able to see you and we can talk some more. And I'll have set up by then a way that you can talk back to me. Nicely, I hope. See you next week. Bye now.